Well, do you think God has a plan for your life? And if so, what is it? It's a nice idea, isn't it? Uh, The idea that God has a particular purpose for your life. The idea that God has a special calling for you to fulfill. The idea that your life can be part of something bigger. Well, how do we know? Uh, How do we find out what God's will is for our lives? Some people try uh, the good old Bible flip. Uh, They grab a Bible, uh, they close their eyes, they flick it open, put down their finger, uh, and go with what they find. And if you don't like it, you can always flip it and try again. Other people look for special signs in their lives. Uh, Maybe if there's a strange coincidence uh, or some uh, weird dreams or a really good opportunity comes along uh, in your life, maybe that's a sign of what God's will is. Uh, It's important, isn't it, because we don't want to waste our lives. If God has a plan, if God has a will, if he wants us to be doing something in the world, well, we want to know what it is. And in our passage this morning, as we look at Joseph's story once again, we're going to see, firstly, God's plan for Joseph. Uh, Then we'll look at God's plan for Jesus and God's plan for us. Let me start by reminding you of Joseph's story so far, um, if you're just joining us in particular. Uh, As a young man, if you remember, Joseph had a pair of incredible dreams. He dreamt that one day he would rule over his entire family, and all of his brothers would bow down to him. It seemed like God had a special plan for Joseph's life. But Joseph's family didn't like the idea. His 11 brothers got jealous. They kidnapped him. They sold him into slavery in Egypt and left him for dead. But as we heard last week, God's presence was with Joseph. Uh, Wherever he went in Egypt, God's blessing followed him. Even when he was thrown into prison... God was still with him, and Joseph rose to become second in command of the whole prison. So Joseph's life has been a bit of a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And in Genesis 40, which we just read this morning, Joseph has a moment of hope in prison. You see, some new prisoners arrived, and they were servants of the king of Egypt. And while they were in prison, they had some mysterious dreams about the future, They couldn't understand. Joseph interpreted the dreams for them with God's help. And then one of the servants, who was the cupbearer for the king, was released. And just before he left the prison, Joseph begged him for help. He wanted the cupbearer to put in a good word with Pharaoh so that Joseph could be free. But as soon as the cupbearer gained his freedom, what happened? Uh, You saw it in chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph forgot him. Joseph is in prison and years go by with no sign of hope. It seems like Joseph has been forgotten. But then the right moment comes along. Look at Genesis 41, uh, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. You see, the time comes when the king of Egypt himself has some mysterious dreams. He has a pair of them, and in the first dream, he's standing by the river Nile. Uh, This is the lifeblood of Egypt, uh, the river that feeds all of their agriculture and food. And as he looks out over this big big river, he sees seven cows suddenly come up and walk out of the water. 
big, plump, juicy cows uh, ready for the barbecue. And they're feeding on the grass and the shallows of the water. And then another seven cows come up behind. But these ones are a little bit different. These ones are thin and ugly. You can see their ribs poking out of their skin, uh, like skeletons. And then all of a sudden, these seven ugly cows turn into carnivores and eat the fat ones alive. And they, it's, it, they're gorging themselves, and then Pharaoh wakes up with a shock, thinking, what on earth is happening? But then he falls back asleep, and he has another dream in verse 5. And this time he's out in the field, and he's watching grain growing. It sounds pretty boring, uh, but it sounds like it happened fast. He watches as a big, healthy stalk of grain grows up, and sprouts seven big heads. And then another stalk of grain grows up next to it and sprouts seven withered and dry heads. And then, just like the cows, the thin, ugly stalk comes alive and eats the good stalk. And Pharaoh wakes up once more with a shock. These are really disturbing, unnatural dreams. Uh, They're not your everyday thing. Cows turning into cannibals, Uh, and eating each other alive. So look at how Pharaoh responds. Verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. The great king of Egypt uh, is afraid. These two dreams seem to have some kind of meaning, so he sends for all the professional Dream interpreters. Um, that probably sounds a little bit weird to us, but that was a big thing back in Egypt. The idea was that uh, dream interpreters kept a record of all the dreams that people had had and all the supposed meanings in a big book. And so if you were stuck and you thought your dream had some sort of meaning, you could go to them, pay a fee, they would look it up and give you the meaning. So all these magicians and wise men come to Pharaoh. They come to the palace and they listen to his dreams But no one has an answer. Everyone is stumped. And then finally, the cupbearer, standing by Pharaoh's side, remembers Joseph, the young Hebrew slave who interpreted his own dreams when he was in prison. He goes forward and he tells Pharaoh, and immediately Joseph is sent for. Now they bring him out of the prison Uh, and into the palace, but he's a bit of a mess. They've got to clean him up to see the king. So they shave him off, they clean him up, they give him some new clothing, and then he's sent into the throne room before Pharaoh and all of the royal officials. And everyone's wondering, can this foreigner from prison really succeed where all the wise people of the world have failed? So Pharaoh starts by questioning Joseph's credentials. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there was no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And this is the chance for Joseph to boast and take all the credit. Why, yes, I can. But he doesn't do that. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see, Joseph knows that he can only interpret dreams because God gives him the meaning. Now, Pharaoh is desperate, so he explains his dreams to Joseph once more, and then everyone waits for the interpretation. And this is Joseph's moment, isn't it? 
Uh, he's been in prison. Uh, he's been waiting a long time. And right now, the king of Egypt is afraid. He needs help. And Joseph is there to provide it. Joseph is ready and he explains the dreams immediately. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of grain are seven years. The two dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears lighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph explains that these two dreams are a warning from God. An intense famine is coming, and there's no time to waste. All the preparations need to start immediately. Now, Joseph is a bit of an ideas man, uh, so he pipes up with a plan for Egypt to avoid disaster. He comes up with a grain collection scheme, a new 20% tax on all of the grain in the next seven years to stockpile for the years of famine. Well, how does Pharaoh respond? Instead of sending Joseph back to prison, he does something unexpected. Look at verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. It's incredible, isn't it? In the blink of an eye, Joseph is lifted up from being a prisoner in the pit to living in the palace and being second in command of the entire country. He becomes the deputy prime minister of Egypt. Obviously, there's no citizenship requirement in Egyptian politics. And then look at how good his new position is. Verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph is given the ring of authority, which is the signature stamp of the king, to give commands and make laws. Then he's given some new Egyptian clothing, all the latest trends with an expensive gold chain, symbols of his rank. Then he gets a personal chariot, which is the closest thing to a limousine in the ancient world. He's riding in style, no more dust. And then fourthly, Joseph has a group of men following him around to clear the way from the common people. 
just like secret service agents protecting the US president. Power, status, and protection. Joseph has it all right now. But Pharaoh doesn't stop there. He gives Joseph a new identity as well. Verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph is given an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife to seal the deal. He's no longer a slave or a prisoner. He's a free man with an Egyptian passport, and he's ruling the country. How does Joseph handle all of this? Does this incredible power and luxury go to his head? Think about it. For 13 years, Joseph has been a slave and a prisoner, bowing down to everyone, running errands, doing the dirty work. And then in a moment, it's all changed. One day he was in a dark, smelly prison. The next day he's sitting in the palace, clean and fresh, dressed in the best clothing, Servants waving away the flies, eating all the best Egyptian seafood. And his personal limousine is waiting in the stables, ready to take him anywhere in the country. But will Joseph forget the God who gave him all of this? Well, look at what he does. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Joseph doesn't laze around and enjoy all the comforts of life at the top. He gets straight to work because he doesn't lose faith in God's warning that the famine is coming. And he works hard to prepare the country for it. And later on, when Joseph has children with his new Egyptian wife, look at how he names them. Verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my, father, and all my father's house. And in the name of the second born, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph gives his children Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. Joseph hasn't sold out and been seduced by the wealth of Egypt. Instead, the names he gives his children reflect his faith in God. He trusted God when he was in the prison, and he keeps trusting God when he's at the top. And so when the famine strikes, Joseph is ready. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. 
for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The long-awaited famine has come, and it's not just affecting Egypt, but the whole earth. And so all these nations get on their horses and donkeys and camels and travel to Egypt, desperate for food, desperate for bread. And there is Joseph, the man who used to be a prisoner, selling the people bread to save their lives. It's an incredible story from the pits to the top. But what's the lesson for us as we come to this part of Joseph's story in his life? Is it about career growth? Are we meant to read this as a recipe for hard work? Uh, is this a lesson for getting ahead in your job prospects? How to reach the top through 13 quick years of slavery in prison? Or maybe it's about economics and money. Is this a lesson about the importance of saving up during the years of plenty for the years of hardship? Well, some people think so, and they've come up with a Joseph principle from this passage. For example, one person says, The Joseph Principle, how to flourish during times of famine. And the answer is by saving up 20% every year. There's even a book called The Joseph Principle, the answer to economic crises. You see, it's always tempting when we read stories like this in the Bible to come up with easy, quick applications. That's why people come up with Joseph Principles and Jeremiah Prayers and Daniel Diets because we want instant application for our lives. What's this going to do for me right now? So I've come up with my own version of the Joseph Principle. Uh, You can tell me afterwards if you think it's catchy, and maybe I'll write a book. Uh, It goes like this. Are you ready? The Joseph Principle. It's not about you. It's not about me either. You see, if we have a narrow view when we look at the Bible and we jump too quickly to our own lives... We miss the big picture. And the story of Joseph isn't about uh, financial prosperity uh, or, or getting ahead in the workforce. It's about God's unstoppable promise to bless the world. We saw a hint of that, didn't we, in verse 57, when all the nations of the world traveled to Egypt to get bread from Joseph. That reminds us of Abraham, Joseph's great grandfather. Many years ago, God promised to Abraham that all the world will be blessed through Abraham's family line. And here, during this famine, we see a little hint of that promise as Joseph blesses the nations by giving them bread. But it's only a hint, because God's plan to bless the world is about much more than bread, and it has a long way to go, and it all depends on Joseph's family. That's why I've got such a big story here about Joseph and his brothers, because they are a chosen family. There's a special reason that God brought Joseph to Egypt, and there's a special reason why Joseph has been elevated to such a high place of power. And the reason is so that Joseph can save his family. You see, later in Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph finally meets his brothers again, the ones who sold him into slavery, this is what he says. Genesis 45, verse 5. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house. And then Joseph tells his brothers to go and get their families and come to Egypt, where they can live under Joseph's protection and survive the famine. You see, this was God's plan all along, to bring Joseph to the right place at the right time, because Joseph's family is God's chosen people. And one day, many years later, Joseph's family becomes the great nation of Israel. And then one day, from this nation of Israel, will come a man called Jesus, a descendant from Joseph's family, him and his brothers. And when Jesus comes, many, many years later, his life is similar to Joseph, but on a much bigger scale. You see, just like Joseph was rescued from the pit and raised up to Pharaoh's right hand to rule, Jesus was rescued from death and raised up to God's right hand to rule the world. And just like Joseph had all the land of Egypt bowing the knee before him, Jesus will one day have the entire world bowing the knee before him. And just like Joseph gave bread to all the earth to save them from famine, Jesus gives us the bread of life, which is his own body to save us from death itself. You see, Joseph had a special part to play, but God's plan to bless the world was always about Jesus. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, everyone in the world can be blessed. So where does that leave us? Does God have a plan for your life and my life? Uh, What is God's will for us now? And where is the world heading? Well, God hasn't left us in the dark, and we don't need to wait for mysterious dreams to find out. God's spoken to us through Jesus and told us what his plan is. It's not about blessing the world uh, through financial prosperity like Joseph, but blessing the world through Jesus. And we know where the world is heading, don't we? One day, every knee will bow before Jesus when he returns. And so that means if you're not a Christian and you've come to church this morning, it's not an accident that you're here. God is in control of your life, just like he was in control of Joseph's. And God has brought you here so that you can learn about Jesus. And God's will for your life is that you trust in him and join God's family. And for those of us who are Christians, we've got a special part to play in God's plan. You see, we're not spectators sitting on the sidelines and watching whilst God does his work through certain special people like Joseph. We've all got a part to play, and it's there in Jesus' words from Matthew 28, which we read this morning. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus, when he left, gave the church a mission. 
to carry on God's plan to make disciples of all nations by teaching them the good news about Jesus. That means that God's will and plan for our lives uh, as a church and as individuals is that we get on board with his plan to bless the world. So let me finish by asking, does your life, uh, do our lives line up with God's plan? Are our thoughts and hopes and plans for the future about how we can be involved in sharing God's blessing with those around us? Or do we just look inwards and think about ourselves? Uh, Do we plan for ourselves and our own family and our own enjoyment and holidays? Because the gospel turns us, doesn't it? Uh, Away from looking at ourselves to look at the world around us and ask, who has God put in my life? Who are the friends, the family, the work colleagues that I can seek to bless with the gospel? Because God wants all people to be saved through Jesus. That's his will for the world. And the way that he's doing that, the way that he's working out his plan is through ordinary people like you and me, uh, loving people and sharing the gospel with them. That is God's will for us and our lives. That's the part that we have to play in his plan. Uh, It's been a real joy to be a part of this church family for the last two years uh, and to see so many of you uh, who are looking outward with your lives uh, and trying to be involved in God's plan. Um, My prayer is that God will keep growing all of us to have hearts which long for others to be saved uh, and uh, live our lives uh, to share God's plan. Uh, Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who is sovereign and in control. Thank you for raising up Joseph to save his family and continue your promise. Thank you for rising up Jesus to give us eternal life and fulfill your plans and promises. Thank you for giving us a special part to play in your mission to bless the world. Help us, Father, to uh, live our lives in line with your will, to look outwards and share Jesus with our world as we wait for him to return. In his name we pray. Amen.